Welcome to Tech Insights from Infotech Research Group, the podcast where a group of expert analysts cuts through all the noise and focuses on what really matters for technology leaders. I'm your host, Brian Jackson. I'll never forget the moment when I realized that esports are a huge deal. I was in Las Vegas. I was there to cover CES, and I was in a cab driving down the strip. I looked out my window at the Luxor. That's the hotel that's a big pyramid with the Sphinx out front. And covering the entire building was this massive advertising banner. Was it promoting a boxing event, you ask? No, it was for an esports event, advertising a million dollar prize for playing a video game. And all the action would take place live at the Luxor. Infotech's own research confirms that esports are, in fact, a big deal. The industry has already grown to $1.5 billion in annual revenue. It's conceivable that esports might even overtake actual sports in the future. And just like there is a major betting industry built around traditional sports, there is a burgeoning betting business emerging around esports. Here to talk to us about that today is Stephen Saltz. He's the CEO of Rivalry, an internationally regulated sports betting and media property. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We also have Hans Ekman, a principal research director at Infotech Research Group. Welcome, Hans. Thanks, Brian. Okay, great to have you guys. Just, uh, I wonder, to get started, since we're talking about video games today, what's your favorite video game, Stephen? Uh, right now, probably Battlefield Five, maybe Valorant. I'd say those those are the two games I play the most with, with different people at the company. So it's been yeah, it's been fun. Okay, great, Hans. Uh, sadly, I am not a gamer, so I I really don't. But I find all of the games and the evolution of them fascinating. Love watching the commercials for them, but uh, sadly, not a gamer myself. All right, Hans is still on Pong. I've been playing um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla um, on my Xbox. Yeah, it's great. All right, let's talk about Rivalry, Stephen. Give us a quick overview of what it does and uh, tell us about this focus on esports betting. For sure. So we we started Rivalry. We started the licensing and the building of Rivalry in early 2017. That took us through to mid 2018. We officially launched, I'd say, in August of 2018 and been operating since then. So Rivalry is a, you know, we kind of call it a, a next-gen sports betting, sports media property. We started off with a focus in esports just because that's my background. My co-founder's background is just yeah, gaming, esports, tech. Um, so we went in with that approach because we understood the market and community. We understood how to develop a brand that would resonate amongst that demographic. And uh, for those reasons, when we started our sports book, we started with a focus in esports and the brand rivalry is definitely built around it. And the majority of our business is, is esports betting versus traditional sports betting. So um, from a brand building exercise perspective, it's been really successful. We're really top heavy in terms of social and content properties. Rivalry's social and content generates more engagement monthly than the aggregate of our entire competitive universe in esports betting. So mm -hmm. we built a really significant brand in esports betting. And then really using that as like a top of funnel to a younger millennial, you know, older Gen Z sports better that comes in. Um, and then inevitably they bet on sports as well. We have sports betting. We're about to have a casino product. But um, yeah, I mean, R Rivalry is a, 
is a fairly kind of dynamic platform that that mixes media and content that is interesting and exciting for that demographic with a really kind of unique sports betting experience that was custom built and tailored to to a, a younger and call it newer sports better so yeah i like how you're talking about the demographic there because when i look at like the esports industry it's one thing that makes me feel old and I'm not 40 yet. So <laughs> what is the demographic? Like, what's the age group that you're targeting with esports betting? Yeah, like the one we target with esports betting is obviously over the age of 18. And I'd say uh, up to 30. So all of our customers, almost all of our customers are under 30. The average is maybe 25, 26. So our target is definitely that 18 to 30 year old band. The average viewer in esports is, you know, late teens, early 20s. The average viewer for most sports is early 40s and, and, and up in terms of average obviously there's 30 year olds that, that watch but you know the average is early 40s so it's a one to two generation difference in terms of viewer and it's a one to two generation okay. difference in terms of sports better as well okay interesting and hans um i know that you focused on esports as part of your research when uh, you were building the pro sports industry spotlight for infotech so what's your view of the industry well, we've seen really a fan, uh, fascinating shift that's happened in sports and with the rise of esports. And previously, sporting events were an event. They were something you went to, like a concert. And really the shift now is sports and esports for entertainment and really focusing around the fan entertainment experience, creating this immersive engagement. And as technology has enabled more contact, more information, more edge computing, we're now able to get much greater insights. And I think we're seeing that, especially with the rise of esports, where it's not just the gaming experience, but then watching these extremely talented people, similar to regular sports, be able to see them, learn from them, and then actively engage during these competitions. And I think betting is one of those logical extensions, both betting on outcomes and sort of the more macro bettings. And then we're also seeing a trend that we're going to be covering in micro betting as we move forward as well. Yeah, and we'll get into that, but that's that's a great overview. And, um, you know, I think uh, you lay that out well, Hans. You talk about the talent, um, because I think for most people that are like my age or older, they would look at esports and think like, why would you ever want to watch that? That, that seems really boring. I couldn't imagine watching somebody else play a video game. But for this younger demographic that is familiar with the games and they know what it takes to be good at it, uh, it's just as entertaining, at least, as, as watching uh, something like a pro basketball game. So, um, Stephen, you know, yeah, go ahead. I think on that, because we've, we've been hearing that for a very long time, and the way that I've been describing it for years now is all that's happening with esports and when you watch esports is you're just watching two teams play each other in a thing that you like. So if you extract the whole e, the e component of it or video games or anything out of it, you're watching two teams play each other in a thing that you like. When you're sitting on the couch watching football, you're watching two teams play each other in a thing that you like. Uh, when you're sitting watching hockey, you're watching two teams play each other in a thing that you like. So there's really no fundamental difference whatsoever between esports and sports in that way. And esports also ties in the excitement of watching an action movie. You know, we love the mm -hmm. big superhero mega action movies on TV. Esports is played out real time in those same action sequences, depending on the game. And you're watching, but also have that 
head-to-head competition. So I, it seems like a natural extension of combining that passive media experience with the excitement of cheering for a team or a player along during these competitions. Yeah, it's 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 attention span as well. Like the number of data points on an average, you know, um, football or basketball or hockey game is something like eight to ten. You got the two scores. Is there penalties? You know, the time, the period, etc. The average number of data points for the top three esports is upwards of fifty to sixty on the screen at one moment in time. So uh, it also just captures the attention of a generation that grew up, you know, interfaced with technology in a very different way than all of us here. So from a from a relative attention span perspective, it just engages them a hell of a lot more, also, which is critical. Okay, interesting. So with these video games that are being played competitively, there's more variables that are relevant to what's going on in the game for the viewer to track. And for listeners, if if you've never uh, checked this out, just go to Twitch and it's easy to find examples of people that are playing these games competitively. And, and what you'll notice is that often it's a social experience where... Uh, the person playing the game, you see them on their webcam and they're uh, talking about what they're doing while they play. Uh, so there's that aspect of it too, where you really can form a personal connection to some of these personalities. Uh, but today we're focused on what Rivalry is doing with um, getting into the uh, gaming industry uh, with a betting angle. And, um, you know, Stephen, with video games, I was wondering, uh, because of this industry that's cropped up around it with betting, are game designers creating their games like with esports and betting in mind or not? Definitely not betting at this time. I'd say esports, yes. So the way that we've always looked at esports from like even an investment perspective before building and operating our own sports book is... Esports is used as a way to increase the life, the shelf life of a piece of IP. So publishers invest in esports, not necessarily because it monetizes very well for them, because historically it doesn't really, but more because it extends the life of the IP. You create a competitive ecosystem. People invest in it in a very different way. So definitely esports, I think, is in mind for most publishers if they're going to be releasing uh, a major multiplayer title. So from that perspective, for sure. And then naturally, you know, if people are going to be playing and people are going to be watching, uh, people like to bet on competitive things. You know, darts is a super popular thing to bet on just because it's also competitive. It's not the most exciting thing in the world, but but people bet on it. So, yeah, like because the publisher has esports in mind, almost by default, it turns into to betting as well. Yeah. Okay. So um, thinking about the competitive play right now is the main thing and uh, building out features that would actually... Uh, connect directly to gambling is less of a uh, an idea. So that makes sense to me. Uh, so your platform can sort of build into that space, right? And create the opportunities to put that component around these sports, um, uh, whatever they happen to be playing. And actually, why don't you just tell us, like, what are some of the games uh, that you're allowing people to place bets on? Yeah, so we let people wager on all major esports titles. There's maybe 12 to 14 that are played at a really competitive level because there is also, you know, the the consideration of integrity. Like it's important that these are still like extremely high level matches where you know huge prize money run by the publisher. Usually, uh, players are being compensated super well. So, you know, integrity is really critical. So there, there's only a limited set of esports that have that specific parameter ticked off, and then. 
in general, this is like all the data we see it on our sports book and everything for you know the last couple of years. The, the three most wagered esports is one League of Legends, which is the most viewed esport in the world. Uh, then a game called Counter Strike, which is the second most viewed esport in the world, and then a game called Dota, which is the third most viewed esports in the esport in the world. Those three games represent easily, you know, eighty-five to ninety percent of all esports betting globally. So those three games are like completely dominant, and that's like the majority of our business in esports betting. Okay. Anything to add to that, Hans? I think he's really summed it up very well. Yeah. I out of those three games, Counter Strike is the only one that I personally played, and that was at least a decade ago. So I'm sure it's a lot different now. Um, so, you know, it's good to talk about like the the regulations around this industry because with gambling. We all know it's a heavily regulated industry and there is a lot of variation in terms of how different uh, jurisdictions manage gambling and, and who has access to it and um, how you can do it and how you can operate. So just try and give us an overview of that. And as part of that, Stephen, you know, explain why you have a license acquired for the Isle of Man. Yeah, so the way that most gambling licensing works or when you're going to start a sports book is you'll typically start with one of these global blue chip offshore licenses. So the three biggest ones are the Isle of Man, Malta, and Gibraltar. So the biggest sports book in the world is Bet365. Their base license is in Gibraltar. You've got like Betway, whose base license is in Malta. You have, I don't know, Pinnacle, whose base license is in Malta. Then you have a bunch of the Isle of Man. So the way that those licenses work is they allow you to accept sports bets from everywhere in the world where there's no domestic licensing in place. So an example of a domestic license would be the UK. You know, UK is a very long-standing gambling jurisdiction where you need a UK license to accept UK sports bettors. The US now, obviously, you need like state-by-state -state licenses to accept sports bets in the US. Canada, like I'm based in Toronto and our company's based in Toronto. In Canada, there's now like federal legislation coming through where Canada is now legalizing sports betting the same way the U.S. did in 2018. And it's going to go on a province by province basis here, the same as state by state in the U.S. So there's, you know, only maybe 30 to 35 regulated markets in the world that are like that. Everywhere else is what's considered a gray market, as in like it's not black or white. It's there's no domestic licensing in place. So as an offshore sports book with a offshore license in the Isle of Man, Malta, or Gibraltar, you can accept sports bettors from that country. So the vast majority of the world is done that way. And then for specific countries, mostly the EU, you need a country license to accept sports bettors from that country. But the general trend right now is more and more countries are going to continue to regulate sports betting. There's really no reason not to. So yeah, so you'll, you'll usually start with these foundation global gray market licenses like we have in the Alman, and then you start to pick off as you grow individual country licenses which is what we're doing i mean we've got probably three or four running right now in parallel um and by the end of this year you'll know we'll have you know a couple country licenses to complement this global license so you usually will mix and match the two that's a great explanation and um i just wonder too because you're talking about sporting uh betting right and is there like can you just group esports under that in terms of the regulatory um how, how it works in terms of what, what the regulations applying to it just automatically fall under sports betting or is it different in any way so for the isle of man it does and for a lot of the major jurisdictions it does even the uk you know australia elsewhere lots of these like more long-standing country licenses and offshore licenses they view it the same 
there's some carve outs sometimes where they're more specific about the age of the competitor being over 18 if you're going to be taking bets on the team itself um the one that's somewhat unique is the u.s is the u.s licensing on a state-by-state basis every state has a different opinion i don't know the exact number but i think well under 50 percent of the licensed u.s states right now um do not allow esports betting. So esports mm-hmm. is is coming in behind sports, and it's it's going to potentially take a little bit longer in some of the U.S. states. But from our perspective, like our current license, it's looked at as the same. You know, Australia looked at as the same. U.K. Uh, most of the EU markets, Canada, up until this point, as far as we know, it looks like it's going to be viewed the same. So um, yeah, majority of the world fine. U.S. is probably the the edge case. Yeah. Okay. So just like. Um we have different geographical jurisdictions and regulations that apply to traditional sports. That same phenomenon and re- regulatory reality applies to esports. Sorry, can you ask it again? Well, I was just more summarizing what you said. But um, Hans, do you have any view on the regulatory space here? I, I think we brought up a, the real important part, which is just the fragmented nature of regulations. And regardless of where you are trying to operate, you also have to look where your customers are coming from because you may inadvertently hit those regulations or compliance. Uh, we've helped a lot of companies and organizations manage GDPR. And even though they may not be in the EU, anyone from the EU doing business with that company is subject to GDPR and they need to make sure they're compliant and sports betting falls into that. You know, yeah. there's, there's, it's just so fragmented. I, I would almost imagine a full staff needed just to keep up and, and follow those changes. Okay. So we've covered sort of the regulatory differences. And Stephen, I wonder about the technology platform that you've built because you manage both taking bets on traditional sports and on esports. And what do you find are the main differences between those two things? Yeah, I'd say for us, there's not huge differences because it's more the esports better that comes into rivalry that's now in a way being like upsold to sports betting uh, or, you know, it's a many esports fans are also like you know football fans or soccer fans or whatever it may be so it's fairly natural like i, I think rivalry is a little unique in terms of like our approach and doing you know high volume of the same kind of better we don't really cater to whales and vips where the analogy we've used to explain to investors for years now is like what a robin hood is to a charles schwab or td ameritrade is kind of what rivalry is to like DraftKings or bet 365 you know we do high volume younger betters uh, potentially their first time sports betting. And so th- their behavior is really similar across the product. I'd say if there's any difference for us, I know this is definitely the case for more mature sports books, the average deposit size and bet size for someone betting on traditional sports is definitely higher than esports. You know, probably by, I don't know, 30, 40, even up to 50%. So um, the confidence factor maybe, or or just the experience level of someone that also wants to bet on sports is usually a little bit higher than just like a pure esports better. So uh, the types of bets they place and everything are, are the same in terms of the breakdown of like pre-match and in-play live, et cetera, handicaps. But I would say the average like wallet size and bet size is definitely a little bit bigger for sports betting. Okay. Uh, why do you think that is? Because of the uh, older demographic? Yeah. Yeah. I think like slightly mature, so slightly more mature, slightly more experienced. You know, the people that come into rivalry that are just betting on esports, 
we don't know for sure always, but many times we can tell it's probably their first time placing a sports bet. So, you know, the confidence and experience level is not there the way that it is for somebody that bets on sports. So, um, okay. yeah, I'd say it's, I'd say it's mostly that. Yeah. So that's interesting. Tell me about the problem space that your technology platform has to address. So, yeah, I mean, you're, because you're dealing with transactions, um, you know, getting money to and from people's accounts, um, tracking what the wager is, uh, making clear what you're what you've bet on and the result of it. Tell me a little bit about that. What what are the different problems that a technology platform has to solve when they're approaching this space? Yeah. So for our gray markets, which is our current Isle of Man license, definitely one of the more challenging things that every bookmaker experiences. Doesn't matter if you're a smaller size like us or you're you know a thousand person size bookmaker would be payment providers. So kind of what you mentioned originally, which is like money in, money out. So money in, money out is is definitely really challenging for an online sports book. And it's something that we deal with constantly. You have to have like a ton of redundancy for all of your key methods and all of your key markets. It's not because it's illegal for somebody in a market to sports bet on your sports book. It's more like the, the banks aren't necessarily super excited about it and are going to be overly compliant when a customer at their bank is trying to deposit with their credit card on an offshore sports book, which is in this gray area. So the bank would rather just not take the risk. So it, it, it can be difficult from a payment provider perspective. I'd say the tech, more on the tech side, it, it, it definitely is um, from a server architecture and, and, and bandwidth perspective. You have to think about the product where you know, on any given day, we can see like thousands and thousands and thousands of like individual bets. And on any given day on our site between esports and sports, there could be up to, I don't even know, like 150 or 200 individual games, maybe like a couple hundred games. And then in each game, there could be up to 150 individual bets. So you have like 100 or 200 times 150. And then in each one of those bets, there's two sides to the market. Like there's the, you know, the winning side or the losing side or two sides of a handicap or whatever it may be, because it's a bet, there's always two sides to it. So then you multiply that whole thing by two. And then on either side of the bet, the, the odds are constantly changing. Like every millisecond, the odds are changing based on like the behavior of how users are betting on it based on, you know, any informational changes. So the, the odds makers are changing the odds. So you have to think about like the, the massive influx of data that we're constantly dealing with, like rapidly like with nanosecond changes and then users are interacting with that data trying to place a sports bet at a particular point in time so that the data is going back out so that's been one of the kind of crazier tech stack challenges that our cto and our dev team has had to deal with is you know this isn't like um a downloadable web product in the front end of the website is just you know are you the bronze silver or gold package and then you download the client and off you know, off to the races like a slack or something you know like everything is like in the client in the browser receiving like a massive flood of data constantly so that's definitely been challenging and something we've gotten much better at over the last two and a half years of operating but it was pretty unique um, at the beginning i think people don't really realize that about the front end of a sports book right and then there's this whole aspect of um micro betting that Hans raised earlier and Hans actually I'll I'll hand it over to you here what what are you thinking there what are you interested in in terms of micro betting on sports well as the as the technology has enabled uh faster and even smaller betting one of the trends that we've seen in sports and I would expect it to fully extend to esports as well is instead of just betting on the outcome betting on the score 
betting on times, things like that, is actually betting on smaller events and occurrences within the competition themselves. So will the player make the next shot? Um, who's going to be the highest scorer? Will the goalie make a block? And in esports, if you think about the competition and the challenges they're facing, there's lots of opportunity. And a lot of these are predicated on the data available. So as we have more data, more awareness and engagement with the fans in the competition, there are more smaller events, smaller things that I might be able to wager or bet on. And with esports, since the platform is digital, there's a lot more data that could potentially be used to drive that. So I'd, I'd love to know a little bit about if you have a strategy or where this may fit into the future of esports betting as it has slowly started to creep into regular betting. Yeah. So Right now, our breakdown of like in-play versus pre-match is pretty much the same as in traditional sports. So that product has gotten really strong, which is usually about 60 to 70% in-play. And then the difference would be pre-match. There's not a lot of micro-betting in that. Um, I'd say with where esports is at right now, it's it's still um, kind of early on the learning curve of how to handle data and produce odds that are interesting for sports better. So if I go back like two and a half years when we first launched, the pre-match versus in-play was almost the inverse. It was like 80% pre-match betting and 20% in-play. This is like pretty weak. And it was again because like the data problem hadn't yet been solved in esports from an odds-making perspective. So forget micro-betting. I mean, people couldn't even get to a place where they were able to provide a good in-play product, which is like as basic as it gets in sports betting. So we are definitely seeing a lot of teams using honestly stuff like machine learning, um, image recognition, et cetera, to start to produce like micro-bets for esports and we've seen a couple of these products as recent as even a couple of weeks ago that people have been demoing to us i'd say the 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 challenge is um the effectiveness of like spotting the outcome or determining what the outcome is because sometimes like in these games the movement is so nuanced it can be difficult to determine um what the outcome is in a way that is like so verifiable that users aren't going to be flooding into your support saying that you um uh, selected the wrong outcome on the bet. So I, I, I do think that esports and gaming in many ways was like built for micro betting, but I think that the odds making industry still probably has a little bit of a ways to go before it's going to be meaningfully implemented. Like we've seen no competitor with a product that even resembles this. Whereas in sports, you definitely have some like pretty niche nuanced bets that exist in sports because it's such a, you know, it's a much more efficient, much more mature betting product. So it's a bit of a non-answer, but it, it basically what I'm saying is, is that Esports was probably built for micro betting, and like we definitely think it's it's going to be a huge part of the future. I just think that the industry is too young still to implement it in a way that's going to give user confidence at this point in time. It's probably going to be one to two years away before we see anything around that, in my view. Okay, interesting. So it's still an emerging area in terms of esports, which makes sense because really we've just seen this introduced uh, very recently, I think, to traditional sports. I've only noticed it over the last couple of years myself, but I don't gamble on sports, so I'm not looking for it. But I want to ask one more question here before we wrap up, because I'm curious about to hear what emerging technologies uh, you see that could potentially change the world of betting 
whether it's in esports or traditional sports. Um, you know, Hans in his report, he talks about these uh, new 5G connected stadiums um, with edge computing that are used to push real time analytics right to fans in the stands and at home. Uh, that's a few examples, but what's on your radar? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'd say this is less sports betting related, but again, more specific to product that we're pretty excited about in esports and for a younger demographic of better. So one is going to be a bit of a, a self-promotion, but what we've been developing at Rivalry is this concept of MMO um, GGs, which is massively multiplayer online gambling games. So basically combining like the community concept that is exciting for a younger demographic with a fully regulated and legal call it casino or gambling game so it's these like immersive casino games we've been building internally uh, built in the unity engine that are fully rendered where you know an avatar and a character that you create on rivalry in, in some way gets kind of injected into this casino game it's part of like this cyberpunky kind of crazy world and lore that we've created and it's literally like a multiplayer casino game that you proceed down a track with different users it looks like a video game, but it's like a fully regulated legal casino game. So we're not the only people developing things like this, but I think more immersive communal uh, betting based experiences for this demographic is going to be super key. And like beyond what we're building, we're seeing other products like this that are exciting. And then the other one I'd say is, again, is more like a betting related technology, less so like a sports betting one would be uh, virtuals. So virtuals are really, really popular as a category on traditional sports books. And all virtuals are is, you know, virtual soccer, virtual horse racing, et cetera. It looks kind of like a video game. You're just betting on, um, you know, it's almost like betting on Madden or something like this, but it's it's fully automated. And again, like provably fair, basically casino. Um, but the virtuals we're excited about in the gaming space are um, hyper contextual moments within well-known video games, like a Counter-Strike without ripping off the IP, where I'll give you an example, you know, there's specific elements of maps in Counter-Strike, and Counter-Strike is a five versus five shooting game. There's specific elements of specific competitive maps that are really, really well-known globally. Um, you know, like specific choke points or like really common interactions on specific elements of the map that everyone gets excited about. And you can run almost like a virtual of that. So you can like contain that moment in time and run, you know, almost bots in a way, like going through that specific choke point and, you know, the two opposing teams facing each other and setting up different kind of elements of it. So like, you know, maybe they're going to go through the choke point and one team has rifles, the other team just has pistols, or it's a mix of rifles and pistols and some armor and things like this. So you can set up like different contexts for different really popular elements of specific maps and people can bet on the outcome of that. So again, it's almost like, casino but like built for a totally new generation with like a completely different level of engagement and interaction rather than just hitting like a button on a slot machine so that's kind of the product we're excited about you know on the sports betting side there's nothing particular that comes to mind and and, and um on my end at least wow it's really a fascinating scenario that you're sort of creating there now you've got me imagining that i would create an avatar to t participate in a virtual casino where i'm watching bots play a video game yep crazy okay thank you so much Stephen, for joining us on tech insights today thanks guys appreciate it and thank you hans for joining us as well and for our listeners that were able to tune in i appreciate it uh remember tech insights comes out every monday morning we'll have a new episode for you here and uh remember to subscribe to us we're available on spotify on apple podcasts on google podcasts 
and really wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Brian Jackson.